the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let me have a prayer with you. Heavenly Father, two hymns for Lent. One is 350 years old. The one we just sang is but 50 years old. And yet both linger throughout the centuries they shall because of the doctrine they hold within the words and the verses that we have sung. The doctrine of Christ's death for our sins, the doctrine of his resurrection for our salvation. Heavenly Father, be with your children during this sacred and solemn season of Lent. Let us learn of you in our Lord's name. Amen. And so we shall learn of him. Let me read Luke 22. That gospel written by one whose profession was a doctor, as you know. Luke 22. Jesus went as usual to the Mount of Olives. His disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to the disciples, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. No sooner had he prayed that than an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. But even after the angel had appeared to him and strengthened him, he became one in anguish again. He prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he arose from prayer and went back to the three disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted with sorrow. He said to them, why are you sleeping? And then he said to them, get up, men, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking those words, a crowd of soldiers came up, chief priests, Elders, the man who was called Judas was leading them. He approached our Lord, he kissed him, but Jesus said, Are you betraying me with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And before he could answer them, one of them, Simon Peter, he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Jesus said no more of this. Anyone who lives by the sword will end up dying by the sword. And Jesus touched the man's ear and he healed him. Then he said to the chief priests, the officers of the guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come with sword and spear and club? Every day I was with you in the temple, you did not lay a hand on me. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Then he said to them, You have come for me, let these men go. 
They seized him and led him away, took him to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. The message is entitled, The Last Miracle, Malchus. Jesus touched his ear and he healed him. All four Gospels tell us this account. Only the Gospel of John tells us who the disciple was. Luke doesn't identify him, neither do Matthew or Mark. Why? Because Simon Peter was still alive. They didn't want to throw him under the bus. But John writes his Gospel, A.D., 90, 100 A.D. Uh, Peter is safely in heaven by then. And John has no qualms of saying, this was Simon Peter, we're not surprised. Luke is the only one that tells us that Jesus healed a man's ear. Matthew, Mark, and John tell us the ear was cut off. But only Luke tells us about the healing. I wonder why, I suppose, is because Luke was a doctor. That's what his profession was. So when the man's ear falls off, he would certainly see Jesus pick up that ear. Or if it was only partially off, he he would see Jesus' hand take that ear, attach it back to his head and heal him. The last miracle before Jesus' death was in some respects the most beautiful and touching of all of his miracles. It was a fitting climax to a ministry that espoused one thought. For he said it over and over again. And he practiced it over and over again in his own ministry. And the one thought was, love one another. Not just in word, which carries little power, but love each other in action, which covers great power. His first miracle, you remember, was accomplished at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It was an occasion of great joy and mirth and celebration. But the last miracle that Jesus did was in the shadows of Gethsemane. Using Jesus' own words, in the hour of darkness, with Satan's presence strong, place of sorrow and travail of soul, time of great agony in the heart and the mind of our Savior. And against this dark background shines the beauty of his final miracle on this earth. Minutes earlier, he is so much in anguish that though an angel has come down to give him strength, he falls back to the ground, he sweats drops of blood, And minutes later, minutes later, five minutes later, in the midst of this anguish within his own being, he sees a man suffering. And he takes the man's ear and he heals him. When our Lord worked that first miracle, the governor of the feast came to the bridegroom and he said to him, This is so unusual, I've never seen this before. Everyone at weddings puts out the best wine first. And when everyone is inebriated, then they brag and bring out the bad wine because they don't know the difference. But you have saved the best wine to the last. 
I look at this final miracle of Jesus, and it's like he saved the best miracle to the last. It's a miracle done while he was suffering. It's a miracle not done in a cry for pity. There was not someone asking him for help. This was done to an enemy who had come for one purpose. Let us take him to the cross and let us bring an end to his blasphemy. Jesus had said it for three years. Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. He said it all along. First sermon that ever came out of his mouth, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who show mercy to others. They'll be shown mercy by God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. Blessed are you who are persecuted for the sake of the kingdom. You'll be called children of God. John 13, right after he raised Lazarus from the dead, a couple of days before he goes in on the first Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, says to his disciples as he's walking to the holy city, a new command I give you, that you love one another. By this will others know that you belong to me, because you'll show love to others. As I have shown love to you and will do so on that cross, so you ought also to love one another. It is one thing to say something. It is another thing to actually do it. We always have to be careful as parents or grandparents that our actions match our words. We can say something to our children or grandchildren, but if some action contradicts the words we've spoken, how confused they become. Will Jesus practice what he preaches? On the cross, he will say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive the two thieves who have just cursed me. Forgive the scribes, Pharisees, and elders who are standing here with the Roman soldiers who they can't stand. And forgive the Roman soldiers who have been duped into this by my own leaders. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Those are words coming out of his mouth. What about his actions? The beauty of this miracle. He does not say a word. Puts his hand on the man's ear and heals it. Three things about this miracle. Three lessons to be taught. Number one, violence has no place in the kingdom. It has no place in the gospel of Christ. Fair enough. Jesus said to Peter, when the man's ear flies off, put thy sword into its place. All they that take the sword shall perish by the sword. Peter was loyal to his master that night when he drew the sword. You can hardly keep from 
cheering him when he draws the sword. But he was mistaken in his action. That night, before they had gone out to the garden, Jesus had said, Luke twenty-two thirty-five. He said, when I sent you out three years ago without food or bags or sandals or anything else, did you lack anything? They said, no. He said, now, when I send you out, you need to bring extra food, bags, sandals. And then he said, if you do not have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Simon Peter took him literally, but he meant it figuratively. What he meant was, from now on, your lives will be filled with difficulty, hardship, and trial. And everywhere you go, you will confront opposition. That is what he meant. He likewise said that in the last six months over and over again. John 16, 33, day before he dies, he says to his disciples and to us, in this world there will always be trouble. There will always be conflict. There will always be persecution. There will always be circumstances that might cause you fear. But take heart, I have overcome every circumstance that will ever be in your life. Pastor Shower on Wednesday quoted Matthew 6.33. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. I always wish Jesus had worded that differently. Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. And then always his reminder, I'm with you in the trouble. When he tells his disciples, take along extra food, bags, clothing, sell your cloak and buy a sword. He was warning them of what was to come. On one occasion when Jesus had received a discourtesy from a Samaritan village, two of the disciples, sons of thunder, James and John, they said to Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy this village like Elijah did in the Old Testament. And Jesus made this startling comment. He said, you don't know anything about the Spirit of God. You've been with me all these months. You've seen my miracles. You hear the words coming out of my mouth. You do not understand the Spirit of God. Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives. He's come to save them. Come to save them. Matthew ten sixteen, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus says, sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, you must be as sly as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. A Christian just doesn't roll over and say, go ahead and kill me. Sending you out like sheep among wolves must be as sly as a serpent. Gentle as a dove. That was Jesus. Gospel of John, you have recorded over and over again. 
scribes and Pharisees trying to catch Jesus. Trying to set some verbal trap for him. Hold up a coin. Should we pay money to Caesar? And Jesus always very sly. Very wise with his answers. Sly as serpent, gentle as a dove. That's how we are to be. Satan relishes conflicts. When I was teaching the alt information class years ago, a question came up. Denominations, why do they exist? And I said, because men and women love to fight. And the individual in that class said, but it's a church. And I said to that individual, if Satan messed with God in heaven, why would he not mess with God on this earth? And the best place for him to mess with God, the place where he thinks he can do the most damage, is the church itself. And when denominations formed, it was because people were arguing about doctrines or practices. And I said, here's the power of God. Those divisions were meant to destroy the church by Satan. And when God gets a hold of it, He turns in uh, different denominations where people can come, feel comfortable with that denomination, as long as that denomination pronounces Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Two of our favorite hymns, Rock of Ages, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. One was written by Augustus Toplady, the other was written by Charles Wesley. Those two men, one a Calvinist, one a Methodist, they were bitter enemies. They were bitter enemies. Newman Smith wrote a beautiful pamphlet entitled, Come to Jesus. Two months later, he gets into a bitter controversy with a great Baptist preacher of the day, Robert Hall. And he wrote a bitter pamphlet denouncing Hall, literally saying to him, Go to hell. One of Newman Smith's friends came to him and said, How in the world can you write, come to Jesus? And then two months later, you write this against your brother, the Baptist minister, Robert Hall. How can you do such things? James puts it this way. James 3, 9. With the tongue, we bless God. And with the tongue, we curse men made in the likeness of God. Brothers, such things ought not so to be. I give you one other episode. I give you Paul and Barnabas. First missionary journey, they take a young man, 17, 18 years of age, John Mark. He goes on the journey. After nine months, he becomes homesick and he leaves. Barnabas, the son of consolation, says, thank you for your efforts. Paul is intensely angry. Says, you've walked away from this mission work. I'll have nothing more to do with you. Two years later, second missionary journey, John Mark wants to come along. Paul says, you walked out before, I won't work with you again. 
Barnabas says, if you won't work with him, you won't work with me. Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus. God blesses richly their ministry there. Paul and Silas go to Syria. God blesses richly their ministry there. The average church, you know how long it exists? 30 years. 30 years. Trinity Lutheran Church has existed for 160 years in October. Is it because it's a peaceful church? (laughs) No. Back in the 70s, Seminex, all that, almost destroyed the synod. It touched this congregation. There is only one thing that has prevented the destruction of the church, and that is the protective hand of God. Which leads me very, very briefly, just a couple of minutes, second point. What does this miracle teach us? It teaches us the protection God has for his church. You look at any liturgy of any denomination, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, you look at any liturgy, And you will see in every one of their liturgies the request made to God that he would protect his one holy Christian church. The liturgy we have the first Sunday of every month, the liturgy we have the third Sunday of every month, it asks in the liturgy for God to protect his church. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they draw their swords... Within three minutes, they could have all been slaughtered. Theologians firmly believe Jesus could have died in that bloodbath and never gone to the cross. God protected his church. Jesus said to his men, put up your sword. And then he said to the soldiers and to his men, he said, I could call down 12 legions of angels from heaven. And they would deliver me at this moment. But I must go to the cross. And then he said to the scribes and the Pharisees and the soldiers, You have come for me. Let these men go. God protecting his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My third and final point. This miracle showed Jesus' absolute submission to the will of God. He had prayed minutes earlier, not my will, but thine be done. It's one thing to pray something, it's another thing to actually do it. You can pray, Lord, help me be delivered from my anger toward my ex or toward my boss who got me fired. Lord, deliver me from my enemy. Help me to forgive him. But what do you do an hour later when your enemy come walking down the hallway or you actually see him or her? What happens then? 
Does it all come rushing back, your anger, your desire for vengeance? Jesus has prayed, not my will, but thine be done. What will he do now when the soldiers are coming? What will he do? When Peter draws the sword, he could have said, Twelve legions of angels come down and deliver me. There was his chance. Satan knew it, trying to egg him on. What did Jesus do? He did not call down the twelve legions of angels. He told Peter and the disciples, put up your swords. He says to his enemies, let my men go. They've done nothing. You've come after me. And when he picks up his enemy's ear, puts it back on his head, it was absolute submission to the will of God. Not my will, but thine be done. Take away one point. When you pray to God and ask for his will to be done, when he delivers his will, will you accept it in great faith? Or will you say to him, no, I really meant this. I really meant this. When Jesus dies on that cross for his enemies, what will he do for his friends? Those who call forth his name and desire above all else to serve him in his kingdom. What shall he do for his children? The last miracle, the most beautiful of them all, as he goes to the cross. In our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Forgive us our trespasses, deliver us from evil, help us live for you, in our Savior's name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.